Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Printavo Pronounces Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce from Printavo. We've got Mr. Stephen Farrick out of Campus Inc. hanging out again today. We did something different today. We went on a, a, a bit of a rant riff thing about hiring and some good best practices, things that we've learned that hopefully will help save you time and lots of frustration when bringing on new people to your team. But real quick, first up, we've got some awesome sponsors that we want to mention. And for you guys to be able to check them out if you're looking for a service that's uh, something that they do. You want to talk about the uh, Graphex source? 1900hotstuff.com. Next next read, please. <laughs> <laughs> Graphic source. <laughs> I was just at a shop um, in Illinois. They have two graphic artists there handling their steps, mock-ups, and uh, digitizing for their shop. So that was really cool. When it comes to SEPs, mock-ups, creative art, order management, embroidery, digitizing, back office admin, and customer service, there's no better company in our industry to work with. That's GraphX. With over 30 years in the game, they really know and understand shop needs and have a proven track record of success. We're actually working on a project with them to bring in some VAs. Ooh, so we're pretty fancy, excited fancy. about that to build online stores. Hit them up at graphicsource.com or 1900hotstuff.com for your art staffing needs and mention the Printavo podcast for 50% off your first vector SEP and embroidery order. Thanks, Nick, Lucas, and Brent. We appreciate you. And Rob. You shouldn't be spending all day cleaning dirty screens. Easy Ways line of environmentally conscious chemicals will get the job done faster, more efficiently, and cost you a fraction. Ugh. Will cost you a fraction of the cost per screen. That always gets me. <laughs> I know they were like, say it however you want, but um, I like trying to hit it. Fair. Can you name your um, 701-842? Alex. <laughs> Alan. We appreciate you. Thanks, Easy Way. You guys are awesome. Bruce, do you have a Multicraft daddy in your life? Not yet. Uh, Multicraft underscore daddy. If you don't follow him, go follow him. How many followers does he have? I don't even know anymore. Um, but if you need ink supplies or a daddy, Multicraft screen printing and digital supplies for over 50 years has been providing you with top brands at competitive prices. Mention the Printavo podcast and receive an extra 10% off your first order. Thanks for the team at Multicraft. They hook it up with that Monarch Inc. We appreciate you. Boom. And before we forgot to mention, just mention Printavo Pod to uh, Graphics Source 2, and there's also 50% off your order. I said that already, Bruce. Oops. Super you color. Listening. Super just color. Just had lunch with the Super Color gang, actually. Bruce, they, I feel like you have lunch with them every week. I just may. I, I try to... <laughs> I try to get lunch with random people to get off the laptop more and just like get, get out of my little bubble. Um, They're expanding like crazy. They've got facilities in New Zealand, in Europe, in uh, two in California and Atlanta. Um, they are the world's best heat transfer made by screen printers for screen printers. They understand firsthand the pressures and expectations of a screen printing business as that's where they came from. Um, and so that's why they pride themselves on being super fast and super easy. They are awesome for helping your DTF slash heat transfer side of your business excel. So make sure to use Printable 15 to get 15% off your order. You know, as we're getting into cold season, we start getting really nice jackets and I get really scared. Uh, we have these transfers that we like to use on them. Um, but last year, like we were heat pressing Supercolor on North Faces. 
And so uh, when it comes to doing your cold weather stuff, Supercolor is banging. We appreciate you guys. Thanks so much. That's dope. All right. Let's jump on in. All right. No guest today. What happened to our guys? Good question. He he just had an emergency family thing come up, but oh, he still okay. wants to join us. Uh, it's still a really good episode. So um, I had a really good uh, question. Somebody wrote in that we could talk about. Um, we'll dive into in a second around uh, culture that I think could be a good riff as to how to help generate a good culture, especially for a small shop, limited budget. Like, what do you what do you want to do? Um, but before that, how have you been? How's the shop been? Well, I haven't been in the shop in a minute. I'm down in Champagne right now. Is that good? Um, it's good. It's good. Bad? It's it's good. It's it's back to school. Um. I feel like the summer flew by like way too fast. I'm a little nervous going into the fall. <laughs> Why? Because um, it's so busy? Yeah, like it's basically balls to the wall until December when shipping stops. And we, we've made some really big changes over the summer on the sales side. And you know how you're always like, okay, sell first, produce second. Now we have to figure out how to produce it. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I never worry about, I, I never worry about production. Cause you're always just like, Oh, it's just going to get done. Oh, it's just, we'll figure out a way to get it done. Like, yeah, yeah, just sell the job, just sell the job. I'm just looking at last year and then looking at what we have on plate for this year. And I'm like, Oh man, um, how are we going to do this all? Um, I don't, do you remember last year, Bruce, how we tried to install Sh- uh, ship hero? I remember very vividly. I think we talked about it a couple of times of just like the, it, it, it failed miserably the install and the uninstall. Install and uninstall. We haven't reinstalled anything yet because we were over fourth quarter. So it was like, it's fine. But I thought you said you were outsourcing a lot of the fulfillment stuff. We're outsourcing the stuff that we hold in inventory. So, you know, we run 10 of these Shopify stores nationally. Mm -hmm. A lot of them have what we call like core products. And then, so those get put into a 3PL, you pay a fulfillment fee and, and they get shipped and it's like two day anywhere in the country. That's awesome. Well, can you say what partner you use for that? Uh, yeah, we use Geotis, uh, e-logistics, Geotis. um, Geotis, 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 Geotis. Yeah. And, and we just like bit the bullet and we're like, you have to pay like a, a storage fee per day and then you pay a fulfillment fee, like a picking fee. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was calculating it out. And I'm like, you know, if one of these stores does a couple hundred thousand dollars, paying a couple grand in, in an extra fulfillment to make sure it like runs really well, I felt like was good money. Like you're either going to, you know how people think, I'm going to go on a tangent here. I'm sorry. They're like, I'll just do it in house and I won't have to pay it. You're actually still paying it. You're just not, yeah. you're not actualizing it. You're not actually feeling it, but there is a, there's a price for every square foot in your shop. And there is a price for someone putting in a bag, even if it's you. Um, and so I realized I wasn't saving money by keeping it in house or I, I wasn't saving enough money. So I was like, okay, we got to outsource it. So that is part of the problem. But a lot of what we do is this like decorate on demand stuff. So all of these stores run limited releases throughout the year, um, like every month in order to um, keep the stores revolving, right? So, you know, we have this like store called the Sigma Chi store. And then every month there's like a limited release or something cool that we like push into it. And so we're running those all at the same time. And those are pick pack and like those are those are uh, basically print on demand. Um, and then we're building these new NIL platforms 
Um, and we think we know what we're doing, but the problem is we're going to customize every piece on the store. So like every single shirt is going to get a name and the number on the back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we have to figure out like, how do you do that at scale? Right. So if we have like the Indiana basketball team and football team and soccer team, that's like, could be 200 athletes across 10 products. Um, is that and all then we demand have, or on demand or is that? Yeah, it's all on demand. <laughs> We hold no inventory. Um, well, except I'll, for I'll the so the organization stores; those are stored. Those core products; the, those uh, core products are stored, except for the mm-hmm. limited releases. And how are you determining, though, that uh, like how much to print of those core products to um, store, and how long you we, keep them? We or were is actually it just, just forever. We were actually just talking about this yesterday. We were just and, talking about this. Second question before I forget, because I don't want to forget this. That cost of holding it and pick pack shipping it, are you do, do you like try to mark that up to the and charge the customer, or is that something you eat, or how does that work? Um, you can charge so, like, on Shopify, you can charge a um, you can mark up your shipping and fulfillment, so you can charge like a handling fee, it's like a dollar fifty, two bucks. You can add as a handling fee. So, we try to break even on fulfillment. If we can break even on fulfillment, we're happy. Um, and, and to your question, like how much do you hold an inventory? I've been like trying to learn about like demand planning and like how like bookstores work and how like retail stores work. Like I use this example, like, you know, like a gas station is going to have to have M&Ms on the shelf, no matter what they're going to have to have every flavor of M&Ms, Snickers, Reese's, and then they wait for people to come in. Right. That's like completely different than how we normally do things. And so there's like these things called like revenue cycles, like how quickly you turn over your inventory. Um, there's a name for it. I don't know. I don't know it. Um, but that's what we're, we're thinking. We're like, okay, if a store does, you know, call it a hundred, two hundred. I think that's what it is. I think it's called inventory turnover, isn't it? Yeah. Like how quickly does your inventory turn over? Is it like every 30 turnover days? Rate. So then if it's every 30 days, how much do you put in inventory safely? And it's like part of your cost. And these designs are the same for the most part, though, right? So, because because that that may change though by you know if you've got a hot design and a slow one or whatever, so you can tell kind of every yeah, year. Yeah, I mean, we've got a couple of years of data now, so we know what does well and what doesn't do well, and like it, it's the same as like running our own retail store. It's just online now, so we've got. But like the thing about it is, we don't. I don't have anyone on my team that is that is like done inventory demand planning. If you're good at inventory demand planning <laughs> and you're listening to this, yeah, please we'll call on. me. I just I just I'm learning so much about it, but it's not it's foreign to our industry, you know. Um I don't know, maybe we can ask Jared Rockford how he does it. Everybody that we've had on has guessed, right? That the I feel like uh they'll look at the numbers and then they'll open it up in itself, be like, okay, this sounds about right. My guess is that's how larger companies also do it, but they have so much more complexity and regions and international everything. So they have tools that create the data models that predict well, it as well. It's like, it's predictive analysis. I bet you like Kevin Oakley at Stoked On, they keep lots of blanks. So they have to know like what they're going to hold on their shelves. All right. You know? We've got Kevin, our next guest. We've got our next guest. You know, you talk a lot about the e-commerce side. Is that because the sort of, I'll call it old school way of ordering of people emailing in or, you know, reorders or things like that is 
just okay, everything's fine there? Or is e-commerce the growth area and that's where the pain is as far as figuring it out? E-commerce is the growth area. Got it. So like... So that's what you think about, that's what you focus on. Yeah. I mean, B2B orders, you could crush them in your sleep now, you know? Um, There's such... Like, no one even thinks about bulk ordering. Like, we have such a dialed-in process. I don't know the last time we had a big issue with bulk ordering... You know, everything from purchasing to graphics to saps to all that stuff. Um, super simple. Even online stores like pre-order stores were really good at them because there's a defined like start and end. You know exactly how many you're going to need. It's when you start getting into that gray area of continuous ordering um, that it's just tough. Um, something that I'm fighting really hard. I don't want to I hate DTG. I don't think the quality of it is good. Uh, and so I don't want to... You sold to, yours, right? Yeah, we sold ours. I just, oh, I just so hate from it. subbing it out, you're saying, working with people? Yeah, I don't I don't want to do a print-on-demand with DTGs. I just don't like it. Um, I've never been wowed by it. And so I'm, I'm, I'm knee-deep in DTF. Um, that name needs to change. <laughs> Direct to film. I think it's the future. We actually just ordered our second machine. Wow. Yeah. So that's uh, that's the key to fulfilling on demand, it sounds like. Yeah. And how often are you doing that too? Because I remember that was such a big problem of stores. It was like everybody's starting to run stores, great. But then customers' expectations is when I order, I'm getting some sort of shipping notification in a day or so, not in a week or two weeks when you're batching everything. Or have yeah. you been good on the flip side of just communicating that that? So we're trying to like cut it off right now. So we're trying to do this thing where we bring in the blanks and we use that blank across several stores and we're able to fulfill it twice a week, basically. So we cut on Mondays, we cut on Wednesdays. So the blanks um, in house? Like you trying to keep some blanks in house or at least like know what it is. So like, you know, we're, we're, we're launching this store for Indiana. Um, and so, those core products are used across the same core products we use mm. on the Sigma Chi store and the other And ones. then the transfer is you just put on a shelf. You've already printed a bunch. Yeah. I mean, so the front, the fronts are all the designs are the same, but like basically when the orders come in, we're able to gang what numbers need to get printed on the back. We print them on the DTF and then they meet the shirts. They get heat pressed and then they get put in a bag. We still have to figure out that part. <laughs> so the real key... So making this work a lot better is uh, the transfer. Well, we we have a way to know exactly what transfer needs to get printed every day. Like we're wow. able to gang orders. How? Magic. Printavo. <laughs> Neil built a tool that does it. He's uh, great. Okay. Uh, it's the print flow tool. Yeah, he get, he's able to gang all the designs together and we can order them in, in the in a really good way. Um, it doesn't like gang print them per se, but we at least know exactly how many of what need to print. And then those all come out and then those will meet the shirt. Uh, and basically you can take a printable PO and know exactly when he needs to print for that batch of online store orders. My final question for you is that, uh, you know, you, you pitched, I don't know if I'll mention. Oh, it's going to go live tomorrow. I'll say basically your revenue has essentially doubled this year. Um, you know, you're climbing very quickly. Obviously you're spending a ton of time with investors and, and doing that to continue to grow fast. 
how is your involvement in the day-to-day changed? Like, has it forced you out of the day-to-day? Do you feel like you're still doing day Like, what is all of that like? Um, my day-to-day on the production floor is very minimal. Because that was, I mean, I think if we rewind, maybe Chris could find a clip. This this would be hard, though. <laughs> this was like, it was Hurricane Farrig maybe a year ago. And it was like, you love the production stuff. It's just like, I love the product stuff, right? And I want to get into the code and do it, but I cause problems, you know, doing that for the team and their process. I need I need to step back into production. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, okay. We're, we're currently interviewing like pretty, pretty intense ops managers um, and like people that have run like really intense manufacturing facilities because it's just above my grade of what I'm able to do. So we've actually been interviewing a bunch for for that role, because um, I need to, I need to get someone in there that's senior. What's a range? Is that like a hundred k type of job? No, a little bit less than that. Okay, I mean it's still expensive. But somebody who's who's ran seasoned some sort of manufacturing something or other, or yeah, operational. And, and and actually, when I interview an ops manager, I ask them about process building. Mm-hmm. That's like my most like I'm just like tell me about like show me your process building skills because it's, it's less about like them being a doer and them being like a, a creator of like, of, of super organized, like being super organized. Um, and, and I had an ops manager that was a yes man and they could say they were going to do it. You'd be like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I'd be like, okay, like where's that spreadsheet? And I'd look at it and it was like garbage. I'm like, that's what you're using. Like, you know, or they'd write everything down with pencil and paper. And so this ops manager, like a couple ops managers we've been interviewing, someone's like, yeah, like I had to train people how to change light bulbs. So I made videos on it. And I'm like, wait a second. If we only had videos everywhere in the shop to train people how to do things, <laughs> that would be great. Um, so anyways, uh, train. We're, we're, my time is is limited and I'm trying to spend it more on like developing our product of this new NIL crap that we're doing. Um, and, uh, it's fun, but it's super challenging. Like we're, we're building new e-commerce tools like that. So yeah, I don't, I don't have a good answer for you. What do you spend your day doing, Bruce? We have hired almost all managers in all departments. So sales has a, as a good manager, success has a good manager, marketing support, so um, I'm helping to do this kind of stuff, which I still like doing um, shop tour stuff. There's some cool content that I want to try and do and see if other people find helpful. And then really product stuff. Like yesterday we, we went to two shops and the team is learning more about search as we have to redo some infrastructure stuff and then um, check in and, and check out. And some of these things that I'm just helping to show so that they know how it works so they can improve it. But yeah, I feel like if I can guide it on that end with the product stuff, then, um, do you, do you feel, do you feel weird that you're not as in the weeds anymore? I for sure did for a while, but no, not at this point. I'd say it's definitely more of a relief to not go from 40,000 feet down to 2000 feet and back up like 18 times a day. Um, but I do think though, like it's interesting, right? So with, with the acquisition, everything they've really invested to be able to professionalize the business. 
And that was something that we wanted to do right before COVID started. I was, you know, days away from signing a five-year lease for, for, uh, eight grand an a office. month. Yeah. For, was it 4,000 square feet? Yeah. It was like 3,800 square feet, something like that. It had all the furniture and everything. Cause we were just about to start going on a hiring rampage. I was like, okay, I could see how we're like, where we got to go. I can see where the products got to go. I can see where the teams are got to go. I know who we got to hire. And this is our path to call it 10 million. Right. And so, um, Obviously, COVID threw that plan off with with a lot of folks' plans, but then that's sort of where we've picked up off and said, all right, cool. Now let's start to execute on that. Like, let's professionalize the business. Let's get like really good leadership in, which is awesome. It's just very expensive. And so it's hard to like really make that commitment. So you tend to like dip your toe in, right? You have like uh, maybe just a sales manager, right? And they manage maybe two teams, sales and success or something or you know, or account management, um, or, you know, there's no, maybe marketing and support may share manager, something like that. Right. But now it's like, okay, adding all of these professional roles, like you talk about the operations guy, right. How, how can you get somebody with six, eight years experience in those different roles? And that's, that's hard, but, um, yeah, they just, you know, finished that up this month. So it's, that's actually really cool to see from a company growth perspective because I haven't been able to be a part of that. And uh, it's hard and expensive. But when you get the right people in the right seats on the bus and the wheels start turning, that's when progress starts to move really quick. I think I think that's the next le- I think that's the next level up for sure because of two things. Number one, you're not thinking about it as much. And you were only half-assed thinking about it anyway, right? It's like, you can only think about so many things in the day and everything gets chopped up into little 10% pieces. It's like 10% on this, 10% on this, 10% on this. And so that's the effort that goes in. So somebody is fully dedicated to it. And then second, somebody is actually responsible for it. So what the team has done is there's, there's a playbook now, you know, there's a playbook for the rest of this year and starting for next year, they're going to work on of where we should be at and the different KPIs for every team and then measuring that every week. And so the manager is the person that's responsible for hitting those numbers. Not, you know, instead of you, the owner, you know, uh, trying to figure out the problem. It's like holding them accountable for doing the job. And if they can't do it, I mean, you got to find someone who can. And then, and we're going to interview James in a couple of weeks, the new CEO, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I can, can we make I this a him- big topic? Um, what? And maybe you've got some ideas too, but I want to professionalizing cause he's done this with a couple of times with a couple of businesses is professionalizing the business. Like how do you take it from sort of, Bruce Printavo. Yeah. Just like any, I mean, I'm thinking shop is the same, right? It's just like the, this like bootstrapped, like owner doing so much to really carry things forward to, I'll call it sustainable where an owner doesn't have to be working super long hours to be able to do it. But of course this does require a huge expense, um, cap, a human capital investment. Right. I think, Okay, shops listening to this because because I struggled with this and we we went back and forth. It's like I would always fight you. Be like, no, you'd be like, dude, the price you pay for like really good leadership is like the best thing ever. 
And I'd be like, ah, no, we got like, we're a flat organization. Everyone does a little bit of everything. And like, <laughs> you know, like, oh, we're good. And then I was just jumping in between everyone. And if you think about it, how much more do you think a, a shop has to pay for really good leadership? Like, like maybe overpaying, for instance. So like if, if everyone in the shop was making an average of 20 bucks an hour, right? Like call it 40, $40,000, whatever. And you, you were able to deploy in a, you know, and there were eight people in your shop, right? If you spent like 60 grand on an employee instead of 40, do you think the quality or like, you think you'd get better results? Sorry, it's kind of sensitive, but like, um, I feel, I yeah, feel like, yeah, there's, there's bands. There's definitely bands and that comes with usually experience, right? So, uh, it just usually comes with experience, but yes, there's definitely jumps of quality that, that you'll get. Um, and I think that's the same thing with managers as well. I think that we kind of, I fell into this trap too, where you, where you, you want to give somebody a shot to manage. But the thing is, is that we give them, we, we bump their role up two roles up. So for example, if you have somebody that's a really good contributor, you may think that they could be a really good manager. The problem with that is, is that those are two completely different skill sets. The good manager is also like, in theory, is a very good coach, is a very good teacher, is motivated. You know, they, they get people on the same page. They, they see process, they see, they foresee issues and they fix them, right? The contributor skill set is totally different than that. So they have to adapt to the manager level. The problem is, is that you just skipped sort of like a team lead kind of senior contributor type of role. So if you want them to get to a manager, cool, but start with this sort of senior contributor that has a little bit more responsibility that can make some team decisions, but has to run up the flag, you know, to you of, of bigger things. They're not doing one-on-ones. They're not doing salary adjustment. They're not, you know, that type of stuff. And then if they're good there for a year, two years, then that's a more appropriate jump instead of two hops. And I find I have found in the past that two hops is always disastrous because it's too two jarring. This time. It's, it's, <laughs> it's disastrous for two reasons. Number one, you just gave somebody a responsibility that they're not good at. So what are you going to do? Demote them? You know what I mean? Like, Oh, you can't demote them. It's I mean, over. it's just, you're, you're stuck. So you're stuck with somebody that's not doing a good job. It's like the right person, wrong seat problem. Um, anyway, I can't remember. Oh, oh, yeah. So James back to the, uh, so he's done this sort of, I'll call it professionalization of a business to continue to allow it to grow, um, sort of CEO or owner independent for quite a few businesses. And so that'll be, that'll be interesting. Isn't it crazy how much you learn from working alongside a professional CEO? Dude, I will. I, I must say, uh, candidly, over the last couple of months, I have learned a lot from being around some very sharp people. Uh, I think, I think we get to be in such a bubble, um, because honestly, budget wise, it's very expensive to hire somebody with fifteen years, twenty years experience, or whatever. But you know, some of these uh, people that we have running payments and running, um, you know sales and marketing success and all these have so much awesome experience that 
when I'm hearing them think through problems and how they ask good questions and how they'll get the team on the same page with, 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 with what they want, but coaching it. And it's like, Hmm, just like mentally, mentally taking notes. Like, wow. Okay. I, th- I mean, I thought I was kind of sharp, but <laughs> these people are running circles. You know, what's interesting. Okay. So we're going through this right now a little bit. So we're raising some money. Um, announcements will be coming out sooner than later. There was a, and, and, and part of it, I've been trying to work with our team to say, like, we're super young, our ideas are great, but we're not pros. And we are going to pay a premium to bring pros in and teach us what we don't know. And I think there's this mental roadblock. Like, for some, everyone's like, yes, I need it. I'm here for it. But others are like, what's going to happen to Campus Inc.? You know, yeah. like, or what's going to happen? Like, and and... I don't know. Isn't it the most fulfilling experience when you have someone in your company who's super talented and you're just like, yes, like keep doing it. Like, yes. You know what I mean? I don't. Yeah. I think for the team, it is different. And this is actually kind of related to this culture thing I wanted to riff on you with, but the, the things do change for sure. It's, it's a second step. It's chapter two to the business. And so not, everybody, maybe like 90% of the people will be on board and some of the folks won't, but it's the natural progression of, of every company. What I'm though curious on is analytically, when does this make sense? Like if you were to start over and you would say, all right, we're growing, we're growing, growing, we're about to hit a million in sales. Great. What manager should we have by that time? you know, or 3 million or, or whatever it is, 500,000. Like what, what should the team structure look like? Um, and I'm thinking like, if you go back to think about your, with Campus Inc., wh- I mean, can you say what you think when you needed maybe somebody to run operations or somebody to help be a sales, you know, senior sales leader or something like that? Or are you doing it at the right time now? Like, are you behind or not? I guess first, and then if you're um, behind, when would you have done it for these roles? I'm, I'm, I'm definitely behind on the production side for sure. Um, I think that's that's our, you know, like we just we have really passionate people who are just just junior. That's really that's really our big biggest issue. Um, on the sales, I feel like COVID kind of forced a hand to allow us to hit the reset button. Mm-hmm. And so I hired a lot of great salespeople. And then most recently I brought in like senior leadership to, to lead them. Um, and so I feel like we've, we've made tremendous strides there. Um, but on like for every sales you hire, you have to hire like ops, right? Like and customer service, right. Or customer success. So like it, it, I don't know, man. <laughs> what I what I'm pulling up though, this is super interesting because we're we're gonna go on the culture riff right now. So right. I um, wait. Can you inve- think about this though too? Like, it, um, it. feel free to bring it up at some point randomly in the future. I, I'm just curious if like I always like divulging some sort of mystery to help people see around the corner of what to expect of what's coming for your business, but. Just think about it. All right, go ahead. Okay. One of the investors we were talking with, so what I do is when raising money, 
it is it is like selling insurance. So we make a list of like 150, 200 investors that we think would be interested in our company. And then we figure out who we're connected with and then we just start DMing them and messaging them. One of the companies that I talked to, um, they built an AI bot that's like a personality test tied with like how how companies successful companies work and they made me take it and then they made my entire team take it and they only invest in companies that score four or fives and they tell you where everyone lies on your company and how like how not uh, like how like what the spread is of like um assertive people versus like artisans support like this whole like arrangement and it's it was the coolest thing to like go through everyone and see like ooh that person's a traditionalist they're really good at you know this this and this but this person is a disruptor and they need to be managed this way and this way um it was the coolest and believe it or not Bruce they wrote me a check just based on how we scored <laughs> that is really cool uh yeah it's called wendell uh, and they're like wendell loved you uh but we should <laughs> maybe we can have chris on here to explain it because he was he was telling us he's like you got a pretty balanced team you have a lot of like operators here you've got good disruptors here you've got good and he's like you guys balance each other out if you're all swinging one way you could turn into like we work you know <laughs> um but but so i don't know like do you ever think about your makeup of your team? Like how everyone balances each other out? I just don't want any douchebags. I, I, I like narcissists. Yeah. I feel like I've, I, uh, companies that I've worked at before, they didn't take as care with as many is the people they brought in as to, were they people that I would hang out with? It Mm. was just, Oh yeah, I think they could do the job. Right. And that, that was the only qualifier. And so I figured we're going to be a small team. This is not like a, um, we're going to have 500, a thousand people or something. So I want to actually work with people that I like. And that was a huge focus of it. And we've turned some people away that were sharp, that just not a good culture. What what is the biggest turnoff for you when you meet an employee? Like what's the one, like the biggest Um, red flag you see? Yeah. So there's two things. There's one thing. So, uh, the first one is during the interview, we always do a project. So we do project based interviews where it's literally based on the role. So if it's a sales role, you know, um, you, you like pitch us, whatever you've been doing at your current job. Right. Um, if it's support role, here's like five questions of example things that people will write do, us. Here's do they our, have time to prep for it, Bruce, or do you do it on the fly? Yeah, no, do it at home. Like do there's, there's some we okay. do in live, like the sales demo one is live, right? It's, it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, this is actually what we do I say, Hey, you run a clock. Your, your sales are up at a clock company. You sell clocks like alarm clocks and stuff. I'm going to give you a call as if I'm a prospective customer looking to buy a, a nice alarm clock. That way anybody knows alarm clocks, right? And then um and then you just we'll just role play it. And and I look for a couple things. One, I'm going to hop off the phone, I'm going to cut them off a couple times. I want to see if they get my contact information, if they're still patient, if they can play along, right? Like in sales, like you just never know. You may not know the answer half the time, especially the first 6 months. So are, are you going to say, oh, let me look that up and, and I'll get right back to you? Or, or, or are you going to dive into the problem more? Or are you just going to tap out? I had one guy that was like, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm looking for a new alarm clock. And he goes, uh, 
I, I don't even know anything about alarm clocks. So I was like, all right, thanks for chatting. <laughs> this is not a good fit. Oh, uh, no. Did you thing. literally say that right he, away? I swear he said that on the phone. And, it, and you know what was crazy? It was a referral from somebody else. Now, that per, that original person doesn't work with us either. <laughs> um, but anyway, we do the projects and then that test their personality as well to say, like, are they temperamental? Like, are they patient and, and empathetic and, and, or, or they, they get testy. Some folks, when you push on them and, and like cut them off a couple times, they start to get testy and, uh, in snappy and you can hear it. And so that's, um, that tests the empathy part of it and a little bit of the problem solving aspect. And then of course, just what we can do in person, uh, getting lunch, you know, just chit chatting. Can they hold some small talk conversation? Like if they're customer facing and we've had like a total awkward silence over, uh, you know, 45 minutes or we don't get into a a bit of a, a riff back and forth, then personality wise, they're probably also not a good fit of which just real quick bonus thing. I have found in an, in the interview process to detect for this, if we actually start talking about the role and and the the company and and some ideas and things for a few minutes or more, always an amazing sign. Like if it turns into if we're talking about product and they're a product manager and we start talking about product and we go back and forth for like fifteen minutes and they just know so much about it and they're in the flow and all that, really great sign. I I like when they can open up and talk non-work related stuff. You know, I think that point that you said of like, can I go to dinner with this person and enjoy their company? Mm. Um, I think my biggest pet peeve is the know-it-alls. Mm. Like I hate, I, I just, I'm like, gosh. How do you detect you, that? Um, well, or if I'm a know-it-all, <laughs> I can't have another know-it-all in the room. <laughs> I you just start seeing yourself in them and my spidey like, senses start going off like nope 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 no I'm just kidding I you know you test for like humble pie right like where you ask situational questions um or you challenge them on on something that might be a little too hard and see how they might react uh you know or, or they're like yeah I'm just I'm just a best learner and I want to master everything right away so that I can teach it to everyone and it's like I'd l- I'd rather hear someone say like I'm going to go ask someone on the floor to spend some time with me and I'm going to take notes from them and like learn from others and be a good listener rather than like a I'm going to just like know it all you know um or or I like when they ask questions and it's a conversation rather than them just bragging about themselves um I don't know. Like, can they stand up for themselves in the middle of an interview? And like, I, uh, we have our, our athlete success manager. Um, she asked me, she's like, can I ask you what books you like to read? And I'm like, I've never been asked that before. Like, I appreciate Mm -hmm. that. You know, um, I don't know. (laughs) You're just like, uh, Peter Thiel zero to one. Um, uh, stretchy skinny pants, like just all like business <laughs> market domination books. <laughs> uh, okay. What about, so like, talk to me about your interview process. How many interviews do you think it is good to actually, uh, this has gone through the like HR stuff, but like how many interviews do you put someone through before you make a decision? 
Our HR process is two interviews generally and a project in between. So a phone screen that I, I used to do, but the hiring manager will do. Um, and uh, the key though with this is you have to standardize the questions. So you need a dot like a Google doc that has all the questions that you generally ask for this role. Um, if you don't have that, I have found it's impossible to compare like apples to apples per candidate to candidate to candidate. And it gets really hard if two candidates you think are pretty good and are pretty close because you can't compare it. So anyway, write down the question. So it's the same questions um, every time for the initial interview, for the project and for the final. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, that's it. The final, I also try to bring some other team members. I think it helps to like let them f- get buy-in and, and make sure they feel valued because their opinion it does matter. Sometimes I've gotten caught where I sort of want to force it through because I'm just tired of interviewing and they'll be like, ah, they just, something's weird here, you know? And I'm like, Oh, come on. Like, didn't you, or weren't we hearing the same thing? They were awesome. Like they answered all the questions. Great. Like, you know, and I'm like, yeah, but like, you know, they blah, blah, blah. And so that has really saved me too, of getting their thought. Like, okay, fine. You know, I'll start over. But um, and then the project in the, in the middle is again, just whatever the, uh, whatever the role is doing, try to be either the exact same, like how would you solve this, uh, or very close so that they can understand it and solve it. And I can see how their brain works a little more. Do you say no more, more times than you say yes now? Um, 100%. We actually, we say we interview 20 to 30 people for every role that we pick wow. one person. Now that could be the phone screens though too, right? So, you know, it's hard to, it's like a big funnel. It's like a sales funnel, right? You, you I, could talk to a ton of phone screens and I or you feel can be like, lucky in the first one. Who knows? I feel like everyone, like you're always hiring. Okay. This is like what I think are the myths of like, or what sucks about hiring as a small business. Every small business when they need to start hiring realizes it's too late. And they're like way behind because they don't hire early. They hire like when they absolutely need it. Right. So then what happens is you start putting out job postings and job listings and you're super desperate. You get a couple applicants and a few of them like apply. And then, you know, you're so desperate. You just push anyone through and you settle for someone. Right. Instead of like, instead of doing an inner, like, and, and, and the people that I've said no to, I've been like, well, let's just wait for one more. Let's just wait for one more. And then when that person comes, you're like, yes, that's yeah. the person, right? Yeah. And but I, think, I think, go ahead. Wait, sorry. If you don't, if you don't also talk to that many people, what it does is it creates a baseline. So if there's the first two, there's data points, but you don't know where the baseline is compared to those data points. So if you talk to like 10, then you understand the baseline. And then you know that one person, like you said, that's further, you know, that's way above it. And then boom. Okay. All right. Sorry. Yeah. And then, and then you, you hire someone, you make a mistake, like a, a, a quick wit hiring decision and they don't, you know, pan out. And then you're stuck in this cyclical cycle of hiring mediocre people. Right. And it's like, how do you, how do you get out of that? Cause you're so desperate. Like I just need people, like I just need someone that can show up to work today. I you think, know? you know, I think the reality is, is the owner or if you have a manager it's their job and responsibility to do it well. But I have total empathy and sympathy. I mean, for the amount of people that I've hired, I was 
for sure burnt out on, on doing that in phone screens and everything. And so the answer was having somebody else do it that actually cares more about it. And it doesn't have to be full time. Like you could hire like HR, you know, there's, um, uh, the uh, BHR partners that we've shared, Wendy, who's really good. Chelsea I mean, Brinkley's helped us out. Yeah, VA could help you. Um, BHRpartners.com. We've used them to do phone screens and they write a really good report and that helps. But like, the, it's crazy, right? Because you do it so much, which makes sense. That's a huge value to the business. But if then if you're sort of shortchanging it, then, you know, it's going to be pretty systematically an issue into the business over the next six months, especially if you're like rehiring folks or, and and even if you're only three people, that's where it's even more sensitive, right? That's where you're a stretched out so much for time because everybody's doing everything. And two, if there's only three people and you're bringing on a fourth, well, guess who that fourth is going to have a huge effect on the rest of you. Uh, It's not like they can be more like isolated in a certain team. So I don't know. I, I think we always underinvest in, in, in thinking that oh, they're good enough. Whereas yeah. trying to find the right fit. Yeah. Jed, Jed was telling me, he's like the cost of hiring a bad employee <clears throat> is like $50,000. He says that to me. And that 50 K is your time of rehiring at some point, And you're mentally just, being pissed off slash exhausted of what to do with them. And like, yeah, cause like, you're not you going to let them go right away. You're going to keep them on. No, exactly. You're <laughs> going to spend a month of your time recruiting them. You're going to spend 60 days training them. They're going to try to work there for six or seven months. It's going to fail gonna miserably. Bad, so you're not going to do you're anything gonna feel about bad. it. You're going to be wasting your time to try and pick them back up. Eventually it's not going to work out. And now your time, their time, and then you have to start the process all over again. So the cost of hiring a bad employee is $50,000. Just think about that. It's a $50,000 mistake. It's pretty crappy and very expensive. You're correct. Um, Let's see, since we're just really focusing on hiring, which I think is good too. Like what are the things that you do when you're hiring for different production Team members could be a press operator, could be, you know, a catcher, just kind of generalist. Um, how do you um, do that? Like, where do you post it? How do you interview for it? What is your process? So we we were talking about this at our shop and we said, like, our best hires have always been second or third degree networks. Mm. We were, like, kind of looking around anywhere in what, the like shop. Referrals? And we're like, yeah, referrals. Mm-hmm. Like those have been the best hires. Like whenever we post on Indeed or like the random like zip recruiters or whatever, you always get an interesting bunch or people that are job hopping and stuff like that. Yeah. And so what we say, and we have this thing that we say is like, if someone is currently well-employed, they're a good candidate, (laughs) right? And so like if they have a good job already and they're not necessarily like, and they've been there for a long time, because their That's manager a gr- knows they're good too, so they're they're, they're good there. So so like, what do I look for? I look like I look for employees that have have spent a lot of time in another place, yeah. and then we work off referrals. And I'm constantly and and when we look around our shop and we're like, who are the best people? You know, they all came from a. I knew this person and I did this with this person back in the day. I and there was they just had really good character, right? And so. 
Um, it's kind of the same thing, like in our shop, you know, those guys, like I go to church with these two guys, they're great. I could ask them and they're like, yeah, yeah, one of them's interested. It's like, great, let's bring them in and chat, you know? Yeah. And so that, that has been our saving grace and it's, it's been pretty good for us, you know? What is Um, the, so then what do you do? to test them or like types of questions you'll ask them and production um, specific. So production specific, I haven't hired a press op in a while because we've got, you know, three or four really talented guys that print really well. Mm-hmm. Um, but more often than not, you know, I'm asking them about um, like basics, you know, like where have you worked in the past? What were the hours like? What was, what was the structure? You know, like, like, tell me about what a typical week looked like. And I'm trying to just get the vibe of like, you know, if they worked in a factory, were they great employees that showed up, checked out, you know, checked in, checked out? How did, how are they measured on performance? And then from that point, we like to do a tryout. So it's like, Hey, do you have a couple hours where you can just be here and, you know, stand next to someone and pull shirts for an hour or two. And if you do that, we're going to know really quickly if we like you or not. Right. Um, so we do that and then do, do really you pay for those, their time or how do you, or you just um, ask them to hang out? We just ask them like, would you be willing to hang for an hour? So like, is Got there it. a time, you know, next week you could, you could take an hour off your lunch and just come, come work with us. Um, if it's more than a couple hours, yeah, we'll pay them. Um, but and more what, often what are than, the characteristics you look for when you're working with them? Um, I don't personally work next to them a lot. Uh, but what I'm, what I, I want to know is like, you know, if it's our main, our lead press operator, does he like them? Can they make good conversation or are they weirdos? Right. Yeah. Like, are they going to talk about some weird things? Cause that's going to get annoying really quickly. Cause you're in a confined <laughs> space. Right. Um, and then it's like, if they tell you to do something really quickly, it's almost like having a gopher, like on a, as a carpenter, like grab me that hammer, you know, Hey, grab, go grab those nails. Like, Hey, go do this. Hey, go do that. Are they like, uh, where are they, or are they very quick witted? you know, and they're able to like jump to it a little bit, um, you know? And so I think like them having that EQ and, and knowing how to work with their hands and just being like clean and smart and, and, you know, having a little bit of humor, you know, um, are they complaining already? Um, what's their attitude like? Um, and you'll know very, very quickly. All right. I mean, I think that was pretty helpful. Do you think there's anything else people let's say they're just getting started hiring the first few people um, or even on their 10th or 20th or whatever, anything else you feel like you've learned to share? We can, uh, we pay, can pay, pay for coaches early. Well, like right. uh, consultants, coaches. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, get them enrolled in something cause you are not going to, if, if it's your first time managing well, like if it's your first time, you will make tons of errors. So like make sure you have a coach your employees have a coach. Um, you know, I, I just can't stress that enough. Um, it is worth it. So like, think about this way. If an employee is going to cost 50 grand, whether you have them or, or lose them, you might as well invest in making sure they have the best possible training and experience. And if you can't provide that you, it is your job to find that there's such good people in our industry that can coach and help. Um, such like on the sales side, on the production side, it is worth it so much. Um, can't stress that enough. 
And there's, uh, for folks that need that help, I can mention a couple, Ryan Kasparian, which Chris, you could drop his email down below. There's Kevin Baumgart at Set Sales on the sales side. You drop that email below on account management sales. Um, even and, even the Printavo like professional services that you guys have. Yeah. Well, Matt Marcotte coming out. Um, yeah, he flies out on Printavo's end and and teaches things, implements Printavo, best practices. Matt's run a, some big production for some shops so he can help there. So Or even go to another shop and learn from those owners too. Right. True. Like I call I call Andy all the time or like just texting with people, you know. Um and, and I look at shops that are slightly bigger than me. I'm just like asking them, like I was messaging with, uh, Justin Lawrence. I'm like, how do you keep your shop so clean? <laughs> you know, I was like, just teach me, man. Just like, show me what you do. Like, and like, I'll get forwarded a Google doc and be like, yeah, this is what I use. And I'm like, oh, sweet. Thanks. <laughs> you know, print hustlers, print hustlers. That's right. Uh, don't forget. Is it sold out? Is it sold out yet? It's not sold out. We actually have a lot of spots this year. Um, I think there's almost 300 seats. I don't think we'll sell out this year, but uh, a little no, no, different Bruce, is it's b- a cool... Build the urgency. 290 okay. slots it's sold. It's basically there's sold ten, out. It's sold there's out. There's 10 one more spots spot. left. <laughs> yeah. 10 spots no, but there's, left. I think, maybe 70, 80 tickets sold so far over the last couple of weeks, so that's really cool. Um, we're buttoning up speakers. Uh, we've got some really good production best practices, shop management best practices, manager best practices. Um, some very tactical stuff we're focusing on this year. So, so Saturday at Print Hustlers is all Printavo related. Yes, correct. So what we're going to do is we've heard folks, they they want to learn more best practices on using Printavo. So we're going to do Saturday, November 5th. It's going to be very um, Printavo heavy in the afternoon, but a very cool welcome dinner. So we've got a welcome dinner that Saturday night. So make sure you're there. That'll be cool to it's hang out with everybody. Ooh. All right. We'll do a little special birthday thing for fair. I need to put this in then make sure I've stored it's this. Birthday. Um. And then Sunday, November 6th, all talks, all really good info. We've got happy hour and uh, food and stuff at the end of the day. And then Monday morning, we are buttoning up a tour of some sorts. So that's going to be kind of cool. What shops are going to tour that day? I'm not sure yet. We've got a couple options, but it really depends on how many people want to come. So um, yeah, TBD. Texas. So Printhouses Conf, we will see you. Make sure to go to printhouses.com. You can be able to grab some tickets for you, for your team, for everybody. And yeah, I think that was good. Um, I think next episode, let's do next time we do a riff, let's do so we did hiring and then we could do retention. So I think there's some really good stuff on the culture side to help build that culture, especially we need to do um we need to do some funny episodes where it's like 10 worst ideas for a t-shirt thing or something like that. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, uh, <laughs> dude, did you listen to my first million yesterday with like the 10 worst ideas? No, I didn't actually. It's pretty funny. I didn't see it pop up yet. All right, everybody. See you in the next episode. Thanks. Thanks.